Hi, I'm Pedro Serrano, proud son of the Garden State. Gay? Skinhead? Not wired in the head quite right? You are listening to The Leftscape. Wendy Sheridan, and this is The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. And hi, I'm Robin Renee. Welcome to episode 114. This is our last show in our season of acceptance. We've been mm -hmm. looking at a wide range of themes that have some connection to the topic of acceptance in each of our featured interviews. And in this episode, we will hear my interview with Pedro Serrano. I have known Pedro for forever in, in and around the music and the LGBTQ activist scenes of New Brunswick, New Jersey. He's a gay skinhead who has some wild stories to tell and has a lot to say also about learning acceptance across lines that are not always crossed so easily. So I'm looking forward to sharing that. And before we get to that, we will have the Artscape and I will check in with Wendy on her current creative endeavors. How have you been since we last spoken. I am considerably less sick. I feel good now, <laughs> which is which is a good thing. I was kind of a bitch of a cold. Thanksgiving was good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I took a quick trip to visit with my friend Amy and, and a couple of other friends too, Anne and Tony and Jay. So we all had a small, a small little Thanksgiving and, and uh, day after, which was nice. And just kind of, I don't know, I'm just, I'm, I'm in work mode right now. Like I have a lot to do and I'm also just getting ready for all the holidays and things. Happy Hanukkah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be lighting candles with, over Zoom with a friend tonight. So I'm kind of oh, looking cool. forward to that. Yeah. Cool. Uh, how about you? Uh, well, we had Thanksgiving. We're still eating turkey at the house. It was a very small thing. Just just me and my husband and my daughter and her boyfriend who all live here. So we just did that. And I really kind of like the no pressure Thanksgiving as opposed to cooking for 16 people. I, That's a big I, difference. <laughs> it, yeah. I, I, I saw like Facebook memories where I'm remarking I've been in the kitchen for 12 hours except for when I was eating some of the food that I've been cooking for 12 hours and then there's the cleanup and and actually because it wasn't this huge family thing I didn't end up cleaning up anything which kind of blew my mind because when it's the all the family it's like the people who would normally be helping me clean or doing the cleanup are busy interacting with family members and you know nobody's going in the kitchen and and you have to you have to to clean up after that meal or you'll be you know it's usually two loads in the dishwasher and and you right, know right. i'm uh i'm chilling i'm waiting for my birthday which is friday sounds <sighs> good yeah, yeah. I actually, it, mine mine was a, a much less work holiday too because i get a little bit emotionally unsteady around holidays sometimes yeah. it's just like a lot of stuff but 
and one of the things that I used to do was like, I'd have to make all the things. Like even if I was going <laughs> to a potluck and I only had to bring one thing, I still had this urge to like, to have all of the traditions for, that I'm used to or whatever. And this time <laughs> it's like, you know what? Somebody else made stuffing. I don't need to go and make more stuffing that's exactly like what I used to make or I didn't make a pie. I didn't make, you know, it was simple. I just made a vegan mac and cheese and uh-huh. and some cranberry sauce and that was great. And all the rest of it was delicious. And oh. so it's nice to not panic. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I found myself starting to get into that headset and or head space rather the day before Thanksgiving mm. when I was making pie because Ariel wanted a different pie and then pudding and a pudding pie. And I'm going, this is too many desserts for four people and, <laughs> and freaking out about it. And then wait, she wanted pie pudding and pudding pie. Yeah. That's and pie and another pie. Really funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I wanted to make an apple pie with the apple pie filling that I made from the apples that we grew this summer, which is why I canned all of that stuff to make it for Thanksgiving. Right. And and I made that and it was amazing. And that actually survived two entire days before it was all gone. Uh, yeah, we ate half of it the first night and the other half of it the second day. But then, like I said, I was getting like, I don't know, dessert police. Uh, I, <laughs> and then I realized like, no, 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 you're you're kind of just going into this normal pattern like, oh, should we use the good china and this and that? It like, you know, and, and then I realized, you know what? The whole reason we're not having people over is to not be like this. So I just I said I, at least I caught myself before I ended up stressing out the family with nice. my weirdness. And <laughs> you know, so we made we made five desserts and some of them are still here and some of them are not. And we indulged ourselves, and I don't care, and I'm okay with that. Oh, good. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you can catch a new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday. Subscribe to our show on our website, leftscape.com, or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you sign up for automatic downloads so you never miss a show. Our download numbers have been growing, which is absolutely fantastic, and I would love to keep this going, Ooh. so listen and tell your friends. <laughs> Yes, yes. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Leftscape. And when you're over on our website to check out our show notes, sign up for our monthly-ish newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. And if you want to love us just a little bit more, <laughs> and if you know that where that song lyric comes from, <laughs> and even if you don't, leave us a review. We could use a few more five-star reviews over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. So if you like our show, and we hope you do, please take a moment to let people know. And join us over on Patreon for extra content. Becoming a patron helps us keep making the show better. Join us at any level, including the front row seats level at just $1 a month, and you will have the opportunity to join us for special patron-only hangouts or chats, and you can check out our bonus segment, We Should Be Recording This. Our November We Should Be Recording This post starts with the diet industry and body acceptance and goes to a few other places. I, I just <laughs> I just released it while well, like minutes before we started recording. And it really this conversation kind of goes everywhere. It, it uh, was a wide ranging affair. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good conversation. You'll find out probably maybe a little more than you might have wanted to know. <laughs> 
I don't know. But uh, <laughs> we have patron levels for all budgets, and we appreciate your support at any level. Absolutely. So we do have a rewind from uh, our last episode in the why is this awesome segment. And I, as I was saying this, I kind of knew something was off and I had to correct it. Elvis Costello's This Year's Model came out in 1978, not 1979. Oh, and no. it really bugged me that I said that <laughs> wrong because like, duh, <laughs> I know these things. So um, I just wanted to correct that. 79 was the Armed Forces album. So there you go for that. And a bit of news too, and this is this is really ugh, this is hard to say. I want to say rest in peace to my dear friend Lyndon Fingerson. Lyndon passed away of cancer just shy of two weeks ago, I think it mm. was. Now Lyndon was a listener and come to at least one of our one of our video hangouts that we did. Like a, I think it was maybe last year's holiday chat and. Just as a incredibly dear friend and a long time ago Metamore, Metamore, if you don't know, is the a partner of your partner in polyamory. Ah. And we um we really weathered some interesting times with our partner in common. And I really will always love Lyndon. And it's just it sucks. There's yeah. nothing else to say about it, you know. Well, I, I will say fuck cancer. Fuck cancer. And and yeah. also, I just want to say Lyndon was also an amazing activist, like a tireless activist for queer rights, trans rights, black lives, everything that we need, uh, that we need voices for. So thank you for that. They'll be missed. Yeah. Okay. So it's time for the three random facts and the news. Yes. <laughs> Random fact number one, Amen Brother by the Winstons, which was released in 1969, is the most sampled song of all time. It is used on 2,239 tracks and counting. Yikes. That's a lot. That is what? a lot. It's, is, it's, it's it the, a, is it the same little bit of the song that gets sampled, or are they sampling different pieces? The main thing is that there's a six-second break, which is like the funkiest drum beat ever <laughs> played and it's called the amen break which oh. I, I had forgotten about this but now I'm, oh yeah i heard about this and um people take this drum beat and do all kinds of things mutations to it so it's, oh, it's that's uh, awesome yeah it's pretty cool it's like they, the wilhelm scream of hip-hop <laughs> okay now there's one i i had i had listened on npr when i was driving to costco one morning that there's there's a drum break from a Led Zeppelin song, and I forget which one, uh, that's used all over the place. Like in, I think that's something not really fun. Yeah, I think it is cool. <laughs> it is very cool. The political terms left and right originally referred to the respective seating positions of aristocratic and popular factions in the French National Assembly of 1789. And that's, you know, the... The commoners sat on the left and the aristocrats sat on the right. And that's where that comes from. Uh, and I learned that from uh, the new book, The Dawn of Everything by Graeber and Wengro. And I'm probably going to be talking a whole lot about that in our next season. 
for various reasons. It's a good book. That's super cool. I love that kind of stuff. Like the history of how we just know something for so long that you don't even know why it's said that way. Yeah. (laughs) Fascinating. Well, here's a, a fact that you may or may not have known. Graham crackers were originally invented to quote unquote treat and prevent masturbation. What? Presbyterian, <laughs> Presbyterian <laughs> minister Sylvester Graham invented graham crackers in 1829, originally conceived as a health food to prevent, quote unquote, self-abuse, <laughs> as it was called at the time. <laughs> Graham's theory was that one could curb unhealthy sexual desires by eating bland foods. Are graham crackers bland? I don't think they're bland. I think they're no, they- quite tasty masturbation is so so maybe yeah i these people i don't know i i did but kellogg what's his uh, name kellogg was the same like invented the cereal because he thought that people eating meat for breakfast made them too horny Horny? or whatever yeah it's it's weird too much lead in the pencil Uh, (laughs) (laughs) oh my god uh Anyway, I, I, I now want to, like, masturbate and eat graham crackers just to debunk this thing. But I don't know. That <laughs> sounds like, well, you know, May is master. We should have a masturbate-a-thon with graham crackers. It's <laughs> getting very kinky. All right, let's get to the news. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, this is much less amusing. <laughs> the news is much less amusing. The first item I have is from The Guardian, and it is about uh, new research into the fashion industry's complex global supply chains shows that a number of major fashion brands are at risk of contributing to deforestation in the Amazon rainforest based on their connections to tanneries and other companies involved in the production of leather and leather goods. And if you go to the actual article in The Guardian, which we're going to have linked in our show notes, uh, that links to the actual paper that lists the 50 or so fashion brands that are implicated in this. Um, and some of them are kind of, they've already pledged to, you know, to be, to have their clothing be a little less impactful on the state of the earth. And it's like they're not aware or there are a lot that they're still doing business with these comp- these other companies that are deforesting the Amazon. And, and it's sad. It's like I, I, in the article, they were saying they have to they have to slaughter certain millions of cows to meet the demand of shoes and purses and jackets. And here I was thinking that that leather was, you know, what they used after they kill the cows or the, the cattle for meat. You know, I think I naively thought that, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they're just raising cows for le- for their leather, that sounds sort of counterproductive. But I know, I know they're in the in Brazil that they're they're ramping up the cattle industry and they're taking they're clearing they're clearing rainforests to do this, and that's like kind of stupid. Wow. So. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, if people if they start making serious efforts to to add back to the forest at least and i think that your your idea is better though like why not you use all of the cow if you're gonna do that well, I, I hope they use all the cow i mean yeah it's it, it, the... it makes it's kind of cra- I mean, maybe it's cheaper in brazil than than to use 
you know, the, the American cattle that are slaughtered for leather? I, I don't know. I, I would but, think there's some, yeah, just whatever the bo the bottom line is, is how they do it. And I never, it's not an in industry I think a whole lot about, but. Right, but cattle ranching in the in the in the Amazon is the number one cul culprit of deforestation in that area. Yes. So they need to not be doing that. And sadly, you know, we have little to no influence on what's going on in Brazil. <laughs> so what else is bad news of the day? Um, <laughs> I, well, you know, a lot of various verdicts came down in the last couple of weeks. Kyle Rittenhouse, yeah. who shot and killed two people and injured another in um, Michigan. Wisconsin, has, I thought. Wisconsin, Kenosha. Michigan? Kenosha. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Sorry. Yeah. I'm That's okay. Wrong it's things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, has been uh, found not guilty. It's a, it, I feel like it's based on the, the law accurately but the laws suck <laughs> yes yes it is one of those it's this is one of those weird situations where the jury was you know you're they were they were instructed about the, the actual legal statutes and the laws in in wisconsin and and i think was it 15 other, 23 other states, 15? I don't know. There's some number of states that all have these really awful stand your ground laws, like Florida is one. And that was right. how George Zimmerman got away, got out of getting, you know, got away with his murder. Or I guess we can't call it a murder because murder is a legal thing. He's killing. And, and this is there, this Kyle Rittenhouse thing is, is, uh, is another, another fallout from a similar law. And, and it seems to be, it's like, it's really hard to get laws changed once they're on the books. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, the, the, the gun charge was dismissed because as he, you know, he had a gun as an, as a minor, but it, it was only illegal for a minor to carry if it had, uh, if it was sawed off, I believe. It's a okay. Certain length of, of the gun. And, and this was just a regular, regular AR-15, I guess it was. So that was, I guess, fine and dandy. <laughs> and then um, when, the, and I don't look at footage of these things because like I don't need to see violence. So I kind of try to gather information about what everyone's saying about it and what they, what I read. But, you know, he got into altercations where the, even if you were, I guess in this case, by, the, by law, even if you're an aggressor and then someone comes back at you, if they fail to retreat, then you can still claim self-defense. Like there's only a very, there's only very minor situations where you, you can't claim self-defense. And even if you started a fight in some cases, you can still use that claim. So that doesn't seem right, but it's the way it is. I mean, it, right. it, I think it, there's one weird stipulation where like, if you start an altercation and you, if you start it, then you have to show that you tried everything to retreat before you retaliated. But if you didn't start it, then you don't have to show any, uh, you don't have a duty to retreat. And in his case, they found he didn't have a duty to retreat or deflect at all. So then it was a fair uh, game, apparently. You know, and it sucks. And you know that 
other people would not have yeah. had the uh, ability to walk around with that gun and not be harmed. So it sucks. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's what it is. So I guess he's on tour now. He's like, he's like on the talk shows and stuff. Really? Being the former president. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Man, great. Um, and anyway. <laughs> So what else in bad news? Well, well actually, this is this is good. This, this is, is not bad news. This, this is, is not bad news that the three men who were involved in Ahmad Arbery's murder have been convicted. Yes, all three of them on and many that, counts. Y- yes, exactly. And this was just kind of wild that you know they didn't even bring charges for the longest time until the, a video came out that really showed people what and it was, really happened. And it know. was a video shot by one of the killers. Right. Which, which you know. You know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, and and uh and I I, re- I read something, you know, when the right after the verdict when they were publishing all this stuff that there was more fallout. This was in Georgia, right? Yes. Yes. That so I'm sure of. <laughs> yes, okay. So I think there, the the local district attorney got into trouble and it because it went all the way up to the state ADA or the state DA and then they took the case out of the local hands and then prosecuted it in another town and and the local people had there were there were some irregularities which is why the case took so long to to be prosecuted, like the, why the three guys weren't arrested right away. It had to do with like people um, on the it, on the either the police force or the um, the district attorneys for that town knew there was some kind of relationship with some the, with prior the, connection with yes, them. Yeah, and they, they should have recused yeah. themselves, and they didn't, and they got into trouble for that too. So I really that whole incident had a better outcome well not for the not for Ahmad Aubrey but for the other people it's like they're they're trying to clean house a little bit and I like and, that's and for a good history thing. you know because yeah it's nice to see that you can't just get away with lynching basically which really yes. what that was you know yeah. and this is and this one is really close to me because I feel like I've had this feeling of like I might be in danger because I'm jogging in this neighborhood. Right. I've had that exact feeling before, you know, where wow. I'm, I'm out running. And in one case, I was wearing a hoodie and um, it was a James Taylor hoodie, but no one's going to see that <laughs> from afar. <laughs> but either way, you know, and I, and I sort of wound up in this pretty wealthy neighborhood. And I was like, I, hmm, this could look weird to people here. And mm. that could be bad, you know, yeah. and it really made me nervous. It sucks to have to feel that way and to worry about shit like that. And uh, it sucks that this happened, but I'm glad that this was this was justice that, in this case. Yes, finally. Yeah, and a whole bunch of the uh, January six people have been getting sentenced. I know the QAnon shaman got three and a half years or something. Yeah, 40, 41, 42 months, something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. There's just been a lot, and uh, I feel like there's a whole barrage of news about this that I'm not, I haven't really been up with, but I know uh, several people they're getting to sentencing with, and um, and a lot of the, a lot of the news is about 
people coming out talking about members of Congress that were w- aware of this and, and yeah. even, like in contact with them and planning things. And I don't feel like I can speak to it all yet because I haven't really digested everything that's going on, but it's, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's very eye-opening. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on of that. And I know a lot of the country is frustrated about how long this is taking, but you know, these things, they need the government or the, whoever's doing the prosecuting these lawsuits, you know, criminal investigations for big deal things like this take time because they don't want, I mean, all these people getting sentenced are the ones that have pled guilty, right? We, we haven't even gotten into trials yet. Right. You know, these are all the people who, you know, they, they have the video, like you can't really say that's not me in the video when it's obviously it's them and they've admitted to it. Um, so they're, this is all of the people who are saying, yes, I was there and I did it and blah, blah, blah. And not like the ones who are trying to weasel out of, of any responsibility, like all of the people in Congress who are involved. And I'm expecting over the next year or so to see prosecutions happening, more prosecutions happening, and hopefully of prosecutions of uh, bigger fish, Hmm. you know. And in another trial uh, this morning, which is Monday, they started, they started uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's sex trafficking trial in Manhattan. So... We it's like we'll never be done with the courtroom dramas that uh, that, that we get to watch vicariously. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and my last piece. This is not um, a completely sad thing. Merriam-Webster's word of the year is guess. It's uh, vaccine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's I think they not shocking actually. No, it's big surprise. Uh, I think they they base it on um, the number of uh, the number of searches on the word done on the internet or something like that. So that is the word of the year for 2021. And, uh, and we, is the, well, probably the one of the most talked about things. If, if maybe it is the most talked about thing <laughs> this year. Probably, boy, yeah, yep. And we are now dealing with globally the omicron variant of covid uh which according to the guardian this morning and our president there are no known cases of it in the united states as of yet which is a good thing and what is a bad thing is i believe there are 32 genetic differences on the spike of the virus which it's, I guess that's 32 differences from the alpha variant for which we are vaccinated for. And they don't know yet how Omicron will react with, you know, your immune system if you've been vaccinated or if prior had, had and survived COVID prior. You know, uh, this may be different enough that your immune system may not recognize it, but they don't know yet. Right. So stay yeah. tuned. And what, from what I read, it, it, it so far its symptoms seem very different but mild Hmm. you know okay we'll just have a lot of fatigue or something like that you know it's sort of a different thing than some of the other ones but if it wants to mutate into something less deadly i i'm all for that that would be (laughs) (laughs) that would be a positive mutation for sure yeah you know but the 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 number of changes does it kind of raise um alarm just to 
because yes. we, well, who knows? I, I mean, I think the bottom line is just continue being safe as we have been and yeah. Uh, just stay tuned. I'm interested. And to also, hear more about oh, I got this I got one more thing to say about just um, pandemic-y related stuff. Um, that last year's flu season was almost non-existent in the United States because of our COVID protocols. And and I read an editorial about like you know going forward once we're back to I'm doing air quotes normalcy. Um, are we going to continue to let 30,000 people die every winter of the flu when we know we can take steps to prevent that? True. That was, you know, that was the question they raised. So think about that. And, uh, and that's all the news we can handle today. This podcast is sponsored by Conspiracy of the Month. Have you grown bored or complacent with the quality of conspiracy theories being shared on social media? Have you thought about floating some theories of your own but don't know where to start? Well, we have the monthly subscription box for you. Conspiracy of the Month will send you a curated box chock full of deepfake video clips, pre-written tweets, and hashtags that would make any Russian troll farm green with envy. Share with your friends, enemies, frenemies, and soon-to-be estranged family members. Sign up for your monthly subscription box by leaving a bag of cash in Locker 2016 at the Port Authority bus station in Manhattan. And now, back to our podcast. This is the Artscape, where we... uh talk to each other about one or the others of our creative projects, just to sort of find out what's happening. And <laughs> I was um, hoping to get to PhilCon last weekend, where Wendy was showing a lot of her recent art and selling things and whatever, and, and I didn't get to go. I wasn't, I wasn't quite up, for, uh, up to it that weekend. But um, So I want to hear, first of all, what was on your table? And oh. what, what are some of the recent okay. things you've been making? And uh, what was on my table? Well, my coloring books, which apparently nobody wants. <laughs> so um, they are actually right now on my Etsy store. They are being sold at cost. Plus, and I added shipping in there because I have to give them free shipping or Etsy hides you forever. So, Oh, is that uh, a thing? Is that a trick for Etsy? Oh, yeah. I mean, Etsy went, they were, they want to compete with Amazon. So there they said oh be you know if you don't have free shipping we're just going to put all of your stuff down at the bottom of the search results oh. so so um i can't afford to give stuff away at cost and eat shipping too so shipping is also included there but it's priority mail shipping so you can get your stuff if you order it like now i would hopefully get there before christmas because i'm not responsible for the post office who suck right now um <laughs> anyway so those are on my table uh I, and by the way I, it's, wendy's uh, coloring books are very cool i bought a bunch of them for gifts i well. know and i appreciate I, that <laughs> and they're beautiful and yeah Thank they're like you. mandalas and different yeah things, right there's and all the different things one, what's the what's the title with the uh harlequin and other, and other fantasies that's right. and yeah that's that one's a very eclectic thing of just a bunch of drawings that I like that don't really have an overarching theme other than being drawn by me. 
but there's like goddesses in there and animals and abstract things and fun things and serious things. And uh, the other two books are smaller and they're about, and I, they're, they're mandalas of very, they, one is more abstract and floral and, and the second one is more um, mandalas based on like animals and whimsical stuff. Like there's a unicorn in there and cats and dogs and I, there's my daughter's dog Lily and, and one of my cats are featured in that book but I also had um, two sets of Russian nesting dolls uh, one one was the characters from the Solar Opposites cartoon and the other one was some of the characters from Avatar The Last Airbender cartoon so that one uh, was Appa as the biggest one the air bison and and then it was Aang, who's the Avatar, and then Katara, the Waterbender, and Toph, the Earthbender, and then the smallest one was Momo, the little um, he was an, he was a Luma of some kind. Very um, cool. I and, actually watched uh, Solar Opposites. I hadn't seen that, ah! before, but I watched it based on your your okay. creation, and that was that was pretty interesting. Yeah, was, did you like it, or was it too Rick and Morty uh, for you? It was weird. <laughs> it was yeah, weird. it's weird. I, don't know. I would watch. I would watch more of it. Some of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it gets it gets weird. But uh, let's see what else did I have? I had three of my my nebula paintings of three different sizes. I'm going to do more of those going forward. And let's see the the thing of magnets and stickers. And while I was at the convention, I was drawing some more magnets. Like I, I drew, I drew this a magnet of the space pope from Futurama. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> I like. Rob- did you draw robots magnets? No, nah, I didn't draw more robot magnets. Okay. But, um, but I had my the little print of uh, my robot Sistine Chapel parody, which I, I really I like. That one. Yeah, it's all. It's I think it's like oh the, the two but, like two hands with ones yeah, a robot. Yeah, it's like the, the god sparking Adam and it's like this woman in a lab coat with a screwdriver and she's sparking the robot who's like sitting in that pose on a pile of uh, a pile of old broken computers and the aliens are like hovering above looking where the angels would be uh, in Michelangelo's painting so I did like this parody of that Uh, which is now on, on a coffee mug because my coffee mug my regular coffee mug broke three days ago and I ordered a new one from Zazzle, and I put that image on there because why not? I, like I, I need a twenty-ounce coffee mug because that's <laughs> that's that's the dose I take in the morning coffee. Yeah, that's my early early late birthday present. Ordered it early and getting it probably after my birthday, which is Friday. For <laughs> anyone uh, looking to. Get me a present. Actually, just you know, joining our Patreon or buying something off my Etsy store would be a wonderful birthday present for me. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> we'll have to remember to put that out on our social media on Friday. <laughs> so, did anything in particular inspire you at the festival or the um, conference? Did you? Was there? Did no. you, I mean, how much did you see? Like, did you did you have to kind of sit at your table? Or? I sat at my table all the, t- the whole time, and okay. and and then uh, 
you know, I, I told you, I, I, we went to the game room and, and I expressed interest in something. And then he used the, and then the gentleman explaining his lovely detailed models to me used up all of my, uh, <laughs> all of the spoons I had for social, social interaction for that day. Wow. <laughs> and I, and actually the whole spoon thing, um, somebody now is uh is also using spell slots like from dungeons and dragons to explain limited amounts of capacity for doing things hmm. which which honestly works pretty well too because the way the spell slots if you use a high level spell you can use a high level spell slot for a lower level spell if you need to do that but it uses up that slot so Got anyway it. okay that's <laughs> so yeah, so I guess I have a couple questions. I mean, one of the things is really what's inspiring you now, most currently, and what sort of, you know, what uh, are you working on? But I also, I, I am really curious about the science fiction thing, too, and like how that, how that fuels what you do. Oh, well. I find that really, like a powerful force that's in you that really makes you want to create and, you know. Well, I don't know that it makes me want to create. It's it's sort of it's a part of my DNA at this point. I mean, I've been going to conventions since uh, I discovered them at like fifteen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it it when I you know that was before the internet, and it was those are that is my tribe, you know, and and the conventions were how we geographically disparate people would get together, would gather together and socialize and party and have sex and do all these crazy things. I was the convention scene as a single person, you know, or as a non-monogamous person, it's a good place to get laid. <laughs> That's all I can say. And, and, and I just have to say that it, people really need to know that the geeks and nerds, are not lacking for sex like oh hell no that is We're not the most the coolest <laughs> most creative people i'm just saying anyway <laughs> <laughs> you know and then there's also the you know you're in a hotel and and the bed is bouncier than your nice bed so you know uh, i mean my bed at home is really great for sleeping and not great for doing anything else <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot it's it's a big um it's a tempurpedic so it it has like it's isolated like somebody could flip over in bed and not shake the other person mm -hmm. which is great for sleeping but it also absorbs a lot of movement so you can't use the bed as an assist for bouncing up and down for example <laughs> So I take it you got some inspiration while at, at the uh, yeah. <laughs> at this yeah. conference in yes. that way anyway. All right. Yes, yes. Well, that's nice. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so in other <laughs> creative news, what's um, what are you what are you what are you drawing? Are you painting? Are you? I'm what are you sort doing? of you well, right, right, knitting stuff. Yeah, uh, right now I'm mostly feeling guilty about all of the things I wanted to, I said I wanted to do last December that haven't gotten done. So <laughs> I have, so while I'm trying not to beat myself up about that, you know, I'm working on, actually I'm working on a, a 
a large-ish, well, large for me, it's like, I think, an 18 by 22 canvas that was getting repurposed because I think it was my daughter's canvas. And she says, I hate this painting. So I said, okay, fine. I painted white all over it and then let it sit in my room. And I don't know how it got ripped, but there's a big rip in it now. And I was going to throw it out. And then I said, you know what? Let me see if I could do something with this. So now I have some 3D molds for like dragon parts. And, and I'm thinking this there's going to be something trying to burst through the canvas, which is why it's ripped. Oh, interesting. So I, I have no idea how this is going to turn out. <laughs> but it's kind of like using the material as you find it. Yeah. And maybe ripping it some more. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. But it, it went from garbage to art project in the course of 24 hours. So that was a good thing. I bought myself a whole bunch of uh, Japanese sumi-e inks in different colors. And I'm going to start working with those and, and working on water more watercolors. Can you um, tell me a little bit about that type of ink? It's it's in a block and you have to, like a little a little hard cake i guess that's imprinted and and it's the basically the pigment and then you have an ink stone that you add a little bit of water and rub the cake on it to shave off i guess some pigment into the water and then and then you can use it as you would any ink or watercolor for whatever purpose hmm. um, you know you could use it for you know calligraphy or painting and whatever <laughs> and i kind of got carried away with the colors so <laughs> this is what happens with me. I, I you know, just see these things and then I convince myself, yeah, I'm going to buy this. And then I buy like all of them. So well, now you've got the rainbow <laughs> to work yeah. with. <laughs> so that's cool. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. And I, I'm going to be doing more paintings and more art in general because I've realized that I would enjoy conventions more if I had my stuff that I was willing to part with in the art show where people could bid or buy rather than me sitting at a table all day. And then I could actually go to panels and interact with people. Yeah. Sounds, you know, sounds like a good idea. Yeah. But I need more pieces to actually put in a, in a show, you know, they're not gonna, they're not going to be interested in a lot of the stuff that I was doing, you know, and like more, it needs to be more bigger, bigger work. Kind well, of it needs to be more arty and yeah, and bigger work. Although I did figure out a way to display like magnets in the art show for like a quick sale or something like that, because those are also original art work, mm -hmm. even though they're, even though they're tiny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to look at some of those for, for gifts this year too. So I'll, oh, are they cool. on your Etsy? No, they're not because okay. each one is different and I, it's too much of a pain in the ass to put listings up, but I, I'm thinking about Facebook has recently made some sort of storefront and I may, I may put them up there. And, okay. and I'm also, I'll, you know, if you have a, you have a, a idea of something that I could draw that you, do you don't see that you would want for somebody else, I could do that. I could take a commission. So, Sounds you know, good. that's right. always, that's always there. Thank you. <laughs> So question, you brought up about the feeling of think, thinking about things that you said you would do last year that haven't happened. Um, how do you how do you deal with that? Do you resolve to 
double down and say, I'm going to get it done this year? Or do you look at what worked and what didn't work and modify that? I'm asking for a friend because <laughs> someone I know some often winds up with this type of feeling. <laughs> really? You know, I'm not the only one that, that is over ambitious with their planning. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, a lot of times I kick it down. I kick the can down the road. I have a I have a list right now that is over on a table behind me and I wrote down all of the things that I wanted to get done that I didn't get done and I wrote down more things that have got onto the list since I made the list because that's always expanding and some of you know and then I wrote okay which one of these actually have a deadline and I wrote those things Th those are the higher priority ones like getting my holiday cards mailed out like that's got a deadline. I need to do that this week. So that's happening. And I thought about, well, I'm going to design a card this year. I go, nah. Oh, that was the other thing. I gave away all of my hoe cards, my minimalist Santa cards. I have very few left. I took them down off my Etsy store and I brought all the box sets to PhilCon and I left them on the freebie table. And over the course of the weekend, they all got taken. So people like them. I guess they just didn't like paying for them, which is frustrating. But the free great card. Now, can you describe it for people who haven't seen it? It was a minimalist Santa. It was uh, a big red circle with a white triangle up at the top and then a red triangle above it with a little white circle on top like the Santa hat. And instead of a face, there was a capital H and O. Nice. On a gray background. <laughs> I like that card. <laughs> if you got a Christmas card for me last year, that was the card. <laughs> so I can't use that this year. So I gave them away. And uh, the freebie table at Philcom was really kind of amazing. It was like everybody was culling their libraries. I got some brand new books, hardbacks that were not, they don't look like they've even been read. Mm -hmm. And they were just free. And I just took them and yay. You know, they had, you know, so it was, it was, uh, it was kind of a free for all. Usually what happens is the booksellers, the used booksellers go through the freebie table and grab things that they think will sell and then sell them. But it was like very much like people were just, you know, clearing out their houses. So, yeah, I, you know, I make a new list. I have a new list for, um, see, I start my, this kind of a year I start on my birthday. And, and uh, I have my new journal for my journaling for next year. And and I hope I won't be blocked like I have been creatively from time to time. I really want to do some comics, like some like short comics, like a page or four panels. I have I have like the characters. I have all of these guys. They're designed, and I just don't know. I don't have jokes to tell. So you know, like a a four panel comic strip, it needs to be like a joke, or you know, a funny situation. I just can't think of any. I I've been very creatively blocked for a year. Also, the the pandemic makes me screws up my time sense because mm -hmm. this stuff I thought was at least two years old i really i found i discovered um looking through my journal again uh that there it's from this year which i thought was from last year so I, I was beating myself up about stuff not 
you know, that was thought was sitting around for two years and it, <clears throat> it hasn't been sitting around. It's not that old. So my, my time sense is screwed up to hell. So it's <laughs> wow. Well, I hope you'll continue to share your process and I want to, I don't know, maybe we could devise some, some, some block creative block busting uh, ritual or mechanism or something to help us. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I was like to see what you've got whenever you post, like even if you post on Instagram or wherever you post, I love to see what you're drawing and what you're up to. Oh, thank you. And you have been doing sketches and other things, you know, so when you're not doing the big work, I see the other things that you're kind of putting out there. Thanks. Good stuff. Thank you. Good whatever time of the day you are hearing this, I am 89 the brainchild, songwriter, performer, entertainer, stage production manager in some days, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Well, I am here with Pedro Serrano for The Leftscape. It's very exciting to uh, be talking with him. And I usually start out reading a prepared mini bio, but I don't have one for Pedro. So, so Pedro, I'm going to ask you to just kind of wing it and give me a few <laughs> sentences. Like, who, who, who are you? And what, what are some of the things you've done? What are you up to now? Uh, <clears throat> I was born in the city of Newark, New Jersey in 1959. Childhood memories, uh, the riots of 67 cockroaches big enough to ride to school and cherry blossoms in the spring. And I hosted a, a gay community affair show for a couple of decades at Rutgers, and now I'm slacking on a book <laughs> writing about being in the punk rock scene. Awesome. That that's, says a lot in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> so the topic you mentioned wanted, wanting to talk about is the dogma on the left. So just, you know, as a starting point anyway, what would you say are the primary hallmarks of the left slash progressive dogma and is it the same as liberal dogma or is it something it's, else it's always something else that just to be clear part of our jobs as liberals as leftists is to call out other li- liberals and leftists on our crap because the right doesn't do it to themselves and which is why they're so insane uh in, <laughs> in part just any wacky idea but you know that's part i'm not like trying to be mean or anything i just think there's uh the I was, uh, got involved with the radio station in New York, WBAI, and got involved with the uh, gay collective there. And they were, ups- mo- mo- like, it was like white, well-meaning white guys, well-meaning white queers. This was when uh, queers has, was a more leftist than now meaning to it. Was this like the early 90s? This or? was in the early 90s, okay. where uh, the queers were not, against, no, were not for gay marriage. That was assimilationist. And... <laughs> I'm not making this up. For all the kids listening, I'm like, no, seriously, this is what it used to mean. Today, the kids, it's like wonderful catch-all phrase. Okay, no, no. <laughs> it was a different thing. That's true. It was actually. A, so it was like, you know, anyway, I was hanging, when the issue of gay marriage comes up, they would, yeah, well, they're assimilationists. And I would say, no, they're not. Nobody thinks, gee, I'm going to be an assimilationist when I grow up. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's familiar. It's what they grew up and just gets, you know, 
I lose I lose liberal points every time I say something like that. <laughs> but uh, the one example that I give now is well, there, uh, all right. I'm just going to give uh, this example of it was all right. These guys were hanging out and got a, a man a man who's gay, Native American, uh, again, who gave us ideas about reaching out to get minority members and they were, they were minority women especially they had you know were about minority women so so we're having a meeting and part of the plan this the thing this guy gave told us to do is to send press releases out to to uh, gay uh organizations lgbtq organizations minority ones <clears throat> and then tell them well if you have a an event we will announce the event and if we have you know, enough time we'll like special production to it and stuff so the guy who was getting the, the mail, who didn't want the job, I should have taken the job myself. <laughs> anyway, one of the groups was this gay Asian group, and they were having a fashion show uh, as a benefit. And the guy who was getting the mail said he didn't want to, to do it. He didn't want to announce it on, re, on the air. And I asked why, and he said, it's competition. Like he was surprised that I, it's competition and competition is inherently bad. And I started to lose it because here are a bunch of white guys obsessed with diversity who will not announce an event by a gay Asian group of our benefiting tsunami relief. It was for tsunami relief. <laughs> <laughs> and that dogma, there's this guy who has a gift for making everybody feel that, that they were right. <laughs> and eventually it did get read but if nobody knew if I wasn't there and that gay Asian group that a bunch, that three white gay guys wouldn't read it would that have seemed just a tad racist that would have been a problem I <laughs> but is that so is that a dogma or is that just one it's dude a, being it's, an it's, asshole it's the more leftist than thou dogma thing it's mm. like it's competition competition if you look, if you go out to a park, there's all kinds of competition. Insects are ripping each other's heads off. <laughs> all kinds of competition. You know, that's natural competition. But human beings make it stupid. You know, at a certain point, it gets really ridiculous. Um, and there are so many ridiculous examples you can go by, uh, from like sports to like nuclear weapons. This idea of competition—it's just ridiculous. My favorite example that I give is. Uh, <laughs> this is, it's kind of sick, but it's kind of cute. Uh, there was this grooming, or I can't remember what, what the name of the show was, but it was also people who were very unhappy with how they looked and wanted to get plastic surgery. And these two people meet, this man and this woman meet, and their faces are completely covered so they don't know what they look like. And it was like this, it was like this really interesting story, and so we, they get to see blah, 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 happiness. Then they had, like, swans, that was the name of the show, <laughs> and then they came back. The women were now had to do a, a competition. The guys, no, no nothing. But the, now the women had to. They had to read. And I was like, gee, that's a disappointing. This is Fox. I'm expecting a bare knuckle fist fight between these women. Come on, let's go. Let's, we want a competition. Ah, she ain't pretty no more. You know, let's go. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the, I understand the thing about competition. But this was a gay group with right. a minority group that they wanted to make an impression on, no, no. The dogma got in the way. And there's, and these guys were scratching their heads for years trying to figure out why they didn't have as much minority representation as they wanted. It's their dogma. Got it, got it. That, I see. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. That's, 
Yeah. That is a problem, and I know a lot of people struggle with that and, and don't know what to do, and that's a really obvious thing that would help I, to rethink that. For sure. I uh, was at a, uh, it was a, a talk on nonviolent, uh, you know, communication, and this one African-American woman got up, and she's like, you know, getting involved with, le you know, liberal leftist politics and all this other stuff, but it's as if they have a vocabulary, and it's up to her to learn it. Mm. You know what I mean? It's, all these white radicals and stuff, but they have their own way of talking. They have their own vocabulary. Right. And it, well, it's up to her to figure out what they're talking about. So what, what do you think we need to do about that? Because language is a barrier. It's a barrier of entry to a lot of Yeah, groups. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just chill out on it, basically. You know, like the, the thing about language and... and uh, and vocabulary and names it really does say i mean like hip-hop culture has its own vocabulary and even the food and clothing they wear which drives a lot of adults nuts because they don't understand the baggy jeans things and there's a difference between style and fashion and they're like expressing themselves in a stylish way but it, there's a fashion that's that goes with that about being recognized sure, sure. and so there's all these ways of communicating verbal and nonverbal. but oh man i don't know what to, what to say but it's Trying to, uh. <laughs> well, how about some some particular groups that you've been part of or that you know about that, like who, what what groups do you think could do better in communicating with each other, political groups oh, or political groups? groups? Yeah. Oh man, I don't want to like leave some on dead air, but anyone can do better at communicating. But like for me, the role I'm in the punk rock scene, and I. For me, I found out that I, the role that, that I had a role to play, and one of those is the role of the stranger. I read an essay, you know, on it was on somebody's coffee table, and it was the stranger. And the stranger is a person who goes into a situation or a community where they can't and brings out something that that community couldn't bring bring it within themselves. And uh, <clears throat> like when. Uh, dealing with skinheads in the scene, like super homophobic skinheads, uh, like being part of the scene and having part of that vocabulary and also just being around and, and being told, like, don't mess with Pedro, otherwise, sorry, dude, we're going to have to kill you. Uh, <laughs> where, were you like the token gay guy or the, or the token Puerto Rican I was guy the, at the time? Well, being, a, being Puerto Rican, that's not unusual in the, in the punk rock scene, but being gay and out is unusual. And for a while, there's like uh, people in the gay community, and there was the issue of acceptance. You know, we want to be accepted or, and, and things like that. Or What I learned is that there are different phases of where the first is awareness. I remember the Rutgers group, they had a lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans awareness week. And I was in a meeting and I said, like, they already know you're here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they don't, you don't need to make them aware of anything, you know. So make it into appreciation week where, you know, you can focus on the things that LGBTQ people have done that actually made the world better. And they made up flyers and put them everywhere. Of course, Wonder Woman made the cut. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really, it worked out really well. And, uh, but, so, in the punk rock, with the skinheads, it was, first they were aware of me and weren't particularly happy about it, but there was tolerance. We tolerate Pedro. I actually heard, you know, somebody say that. You know, oh, we tolerate Pedro. And then there was appreciation, you know, that, you know, where you know, I'll, like, you know, I'll listen to what people have to say and not tell anybody or, you know. 
you know, that kind of role to play. There's, you know, appreciation, and then, you know, there's acceptance, and there's, and there's even love, like when, when, you know, there's a, one you stup <laughs> a stupendous, who was a stupendously homophobic, like, skinhead, call me brother from the distance, and then come up with the vilest names for gay bars. <laughs> mm. <laughs> as, as you could, but it's, it, it, it's, part of it is how, you know, you're a part, you know, part of, of this, Scene and how much how expect how much you accept from them because you have gatekeepers in all these communities and then how much like you're going to you know they know you're going to tolerate where they stop at a certain point and what one skinhead uh, was hanging out with these other skins in New York City and <laughs> one of them referred to me as Gaydro and the other <laughs> I like it it's a good one. Uh, <laughs> My friend was there, and he didn't have a sense of humor about it. He said, Pedro's a friend of mine, and anybody who's, you know, who's against Pedro is against me. And I have two guns at home, a shotgun and a 9mm pistol, and they're both loaded. So there was that kind of thing as well, that dimension. But there's also that, all that other stuff, like having a protector is one thing. But uh, part of the reason you know, that I was tolerated is because I was just there, <laughs> and I wouldn't go away. Right. And there were too many other people who supported me, so you know, and that's what the guys—the guy who wrote a song called "Stay in the Closet." <laughs> nice. Now is like totally cool with gay people. I was the first gay person like he ever actually got to know, and uh, when his when his nephew like came out to him, he laughed like I didn't know, like he couldn't do tell he was gay, but. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> I think you were, you were answering it, really. Okay. You know, I just uh, the wanted to know about those communities and that could do a better job communicating, and they sort of went it into that, and that makes sense, because I did want to get to, first, maybe a little overview of how you got into the skinhead scene, but more specifically, you did say that you befriended someone who was very homophobic and, yeah. and racist, and, and I'm curious how that develop like how does one get from a place of or how do you even want to be in a space with someone like that exactly. and then get to how you really make some difference yeah I think the, the what happened with me will never happen again <laughs> ever where uh, like 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 white power racist homophobic skinheads are hanging out with skinheads who are like being cool with them up to a certain point you know they're they were in the same scene, were stuck with each other, and they're even becoming friends. And they're going to have to, like, you know, you know, evolve some way. But the, the thing with, with, the reason I say it'll never happen again is just that why they were, like, hanging out together. And there was no escape. That was, that was the problem. Because they were both choosing skinhead They culture? were both skinheads, and they were both in the, in the scene. Like, some from New York, most in New Jersey, some from Delaware. Mm -hmm. And so, like... And they were all different kinds. So one band wanted to go to a show. They would be allowed to go show. So they didn't have flyers or anything handing out white power or anything. They were just being there. And uh, and I think you know now that I talk, mentioned the stranger, as uh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, black intellectual. Everybody loves him. I can't remember his name. But anyway, I had there was a. a question and answer after we gave this wonderful talk and I and I mentioned you know well-meaning white leftists who just don't get it and, and he was talking about you know that there has to be somebody like a bridge in between all these different communities and it kind of went fuck 
because because <laughs> I listened to him. That's when I realized I'm like, that's me. That's the role I'm playing. I'm like this bridge between these different communities. I'm the stranger. And in that essay, one example he gave were in Italian towns and cities, the judges are always from some other town, some other city. They have no connections with anybody there, so they're seen as impartial. Mm-hmm. So I think I was seen as impartial <clears throat> in that way, that I, could, I would listen to anybody. And I, I remember being at a show uh, recently, and this one skinhead, <clears throat> way taller than me, he's like a head taller than me, and his arm is around my shoulder, and he's just speaking out loud in, in, to anybody who would listen, like giving me praises and all this other stuff. And uh, that's when I felt like an elder, like at that moment, which is something, he was just like his arm, and he, there was nobody, he wasn't saying it to anybody in particular, he was just saying it out loud. Just orating kind or of. Or like oratory, it was beautiful. And I, later on, I, I, I didn't appreciate it at that moment, but later on I was like, wow, that's, that was a high honor. And I, that's happened other times before, there was, there was a battalion of skinheads, <laughs> about a dozen of them walking down the street, <clears throat> And I'm behind them, and they're uh, in front of me. And then a little while, I'm in, while later, I'm in the middle of them, and then they're gone. And I look behind me, and they're all following me. They put me in the lead. Cool. Which was a big deal. Yeah. Like, that was that was a moment where I realized, you know, that I had, you know, a, a, achieved a level of respect that, you know, that yeah, a high level of respect. Right, right. So for people who are not aware, can you say a little bit about skinhead? Because I think. A lot of people assume it's all about racism. Yeah, and I, that is not the origin. No, it started out as a multicultural thing, actually. Uh, uh, Jamaican independence took place in 1959, and right after that, they started developing their own like culture and uh, being independent. They had a musical style called ska, so S K A, and the reason they called it, call it that is like the rhythm of the music is ska, 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 and ska, ska, and dun, dun, dun. It's great. And uh, like happy music about sad things, you know, like, you know, there's, it's, it's happy music, it's like bluegrass, it's really happy, but they also sing about sad things like God, war, and death, and, <laughs> and love, and all this other stuff, the, the hardcore stuff. But anyway, uh, black Jamaican immigrants were in Europe, they would have dance halls listening to ska music, and white working class, you know, kids would join them and they'd be in there, you know, dancing, it became, skinheads were not, shaven bald it was like like close cropped and it was so short they called them skinheads and it was like black and white it was not a big deal and uh, it ran its course course from like 1969 you know you you grow out of it and then this then it was a resurgence in the 70s with punk rock and uh, the national front which is a nationalist racist you know organization so, you know, these, you know, kids in the scene, some of the punks being naughty, wearing swastika bands. Isn't that naughty? I'm wearing a swastika patch. Right. Spank me. I'm a naughty punk. <laughs> and, uh, but the National Front was recruiting. Rec- I mean, you see the same thing today. You know, it's populist kind of, kind of thing going on. And uh, they had this, you know, this sub- subculture to work from. Right. Although you can buy a CD collection called uh, Skinhead Skinhead Reggae, and it's a box set of skinhead songs about skinheads all by black Jamaican skinhead artists. That sounds amazing. It is. I did and not you know get, about that. You get a history of the subculture as well. Skinhead, 
a message to you, skinhead moonstop, skinhead girl, <laughs> skinhead, skinhead, skinhead. That's funny. Yeah. So one of the things I remember is Sharps. Skinheads against racial prejudice. Right. So I think in reaction to that, you know, the racist groups that sort of started to crop yeah. up. Yeah. that they came yeah. into play. A lot, of, a lot of skinheads who aren't racist hate Sharp because for some reason about being political. But the fact of the matter is the people you should blame are Nazis because, you know, they, when they come around, Sharp skinheads arrive. It's, they have to take a stand. So in some places, there are no Sharp groups because there are no Nazis or white power people or anything like that. Right, right. So you had a lot of resilience, and I guess as you mentioned, a, a real sort of role to play as a bridge maker in those kinds of communities. So you, you don't think it'll ever happen again, but there's got to be something that the average person can do to make connections that might you might not expect. What do you think about that? Oh, man. Or maybe is maybe that level yeah. isn't, isn't yeah. likely for the average person. Yeah. I think, well, if you're like going to do like... Um, I wish I could remember his name, but he was talking about people being bridges between, you know, communities. You have to want to be in those two communities, though, or be a part of them. I remember this one uh, a lesbian woman talking about of color, talking about when she's with, you know, her people, other people of color. They're like, you know, people of color, but they're all straight. And when she's in a gay environment, it's usually not a minority environment. So she's there with her kind, but she's an outsider. So, you know, this kind of like person who uh, you know has the potential of being a kind of person that says hey you know well-meaning white people <laughs> yeah it's 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 a it's a it's a yeah i guess you have to have a certain personality for it i don't know like uh, high functioning <laughs> uh yeah but uh it's like it's it's based being fully you know in the community or communities the punk rock scene and the uh, the skinhead scene and you know being involved in uh, I haven't been involved in uh, LGBT politics or anything for a while because I really don't know what to do <laughs> like in it yeah I was wondering about that like if that's how you would introduce yourself as a as a gay activist but not necessarily it's not really so much what you're doing but yeah. you you just are who you are and I remember uh, talking to this woman Jen Ed Jennifer Edwards oh yeah She's a wonderful woman super smart and uh, anyway, I was interviewing her, and I told her a story about <clears throat> when I was in my mid-20s, I wanted to be, I was thinking of being an out gay, wanted to be an out gay role model. And it turned out, yes, I am an out gay role model, but mostly for heterosexual skinheads and punk rockers. And uh, I'm not complaining. I mean, I got involved, I know there, there were a lot of gay kids at Rutgers that knew about me, and I was, I was like crashing their meetings, probably against the rules. <laughs> but I was... But I was glad I was, you know, you know, in there. Kind of play, felt felt like played a role there too, because it was a youth culture. Maybe that's why I got into it. And I think uh, I br I brought something into it because I was older and hanging out with skinheads who altered. They you you hang out in a certain culture, you're going to absorb certain attitudes, like their sense of humor. I've said things that I would never have said in the past. I was at a, a friend who was having a cupcake party. And uh, I would just scrape the icing off. I'm just gonna. It's not a cupcake. It's a. It's a. It's not a cupcake. It's a muffin. If you don't put icing on it. <laughs> so at one point she was standing by the stove, and I was in a doorway, the door. And I and I said, "There's nothing more beautiful than a woman." And she looks at me smiling and says, "Standing by the stove where she belongs." And she goes, oh, no. <laughs> like, "Exit stage left." 
And I would never, there was a time I would never have said anything like that. Right. But, uh, and obviously it was just totally tongue in cheek. Yeah, it was tongue in cheek. My friend, she got to know my sense of humor. But, uh, so another another attitude is is, uh, at one of these meetings, uh, some fraternity had put up some flyers that like scared them or something, and they, they came to the discussion that it wasn't intentional. This wasn't intimidation. So uh, flyers by the frat by a frat for some party. Okay. okay. Some party. It was just a silly, stupid, you know, attempt at humor. But I was, you know, asked like, what was it? You know, why are you like so afraid? That's the question I had, which is a stupid question. You're young and you're gay, of course. <laughs> There's a lot of fear. But one of the, uh, this young woman said, well, I was raped and I'm never gonna, I'm always gonna be afraid. Mm. There's silence. And all I'm thinking is, I'm always gonna be afraid? That's not how a New Jersey Amazon talks. No, no, no. And so I just said, I think you just need to beat the shit out of a guy. I think you need to get it, yeah, you need to go to a def, you know, self-defense class and it's awesome. You get to pound away and then you go, I would never have given that suggestion. <laughs> like, and at the end of the meeting, they're walking out. She has a big smile on her face. I'm going to beat up a guy. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not so sure I endorse this advice, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, and sometimes you have to beat up a guy. Sometimes you need to like a, a, a catharsis. Yeah, I understand something like that. If, for sure. if, if it was not a good idea, she would not have been smiling and <laughs> <laughs> saying, "I'm going to beat up." It was exactly what she needed to hear. She needed to hear somebody say, "You know, you can." defend yourself you're, you're a, you can be a, an Amazon you know you can, be, you can like beat the that's what I thought you that is not good to be a, always be afraid to say that that is unacceptable sure I hear that I hear that part for sure absolutely so but you wouldn't recommend beating the crap out of a guy I, I wouldn't personally but I do I understand the need to feel your power to that yeah. level I think that's what I hear in, in that That's exactly, story. that's exactly it. Very cool. So what have you, what did you learn about the process of acceptance? Like the people who were homophobic who, who wound up accepting you and vice versa? I mean, I feel like you must have had to accept friendship with people who might have said or done some awful things. Oh yeah, oh hell yeah, oh hell yeah. I had some tearful confessions from skinheads who had been fag bashing and uh, you know, they sank like, saying the wonder if they'll ever be forgiven and all this stuff. It was just really, you know, really powerful thing. And they were just going through this and they never admitted it to anyone and the regret. And uh, I'm in no position to forgive. You know, I'd say, Sam, it's not my place to forgive that you're asking for forgiveness is a good, is an important step. I'm not the person you, you beat up. But, you know, there might be something you can do, you know, as restitution. It's, it's whatever you want to do, just restitution. And I can see the expression in your eyes <laughs> that it's a kind of a it's kind of sad, but you know that they're making this this journey is 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 really important for them. Sure. And uh, there's other uh, as far as like uh, acceptance. There is a graphic novel, you know, a thick comic book <coughs> called Skin, <laughs> and it's about a skinhead named uh, I think it was uh, John Hatchet. You know, Hatchet. You know, Hatchet. He was a Cockney, and uh, he his mother took thalidomide which a lot of people might not know caused, uh, caused you know, horrific, uh, you know, terrible deformities in children. They would have no elbows or, you know, like, you know, like flipper-like hands in some cases. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, Bill becomes a skinhead, <laughs> this little guy, <clears throat> and he's, he's thoroughly accepted and he will, 
he will fight you, he will take his head and headbutt you, and, and, and he's like, he's teased, just like all the other skinheads, is one takes a bottle of beer to his lips and then just lets it pour over him, oh. and everybody else, they're, they're treating him just the way they treat everybody else, they do that to everybody else, and it does not have a happy ending. But uh, don't spoil it in case people want to read it. <laughs> Maybe we'll put the link. But he but was, anyway. it, he was, you know, they say, you know, he was a skinhead. He was one of us, you know, this this guy with, you know, the, you know, deformed, you know, guy. And I was listening to some skins that they were talking, and I think they were talking about me or something. And they they accepted me the way they compared me to that, you know, that thalidomide uh, victim, because hmm. they see we accept Pedro the way they accepted him. Like fully, he's a skinhead. So that's the thing. It's not, it's not just tolerance. It comes to be acceptance, and there's and there's love, and there's appreciation, and all these different things. And it can be mixed up, but awareness starts first. That's why coming out was was so important. Uh, it still is, you know, for people. But in the past, when I was coming up, is come out of the closet. It's good for the movement. And I was like, I ain't coming out. <laughs> that's a very personal thing. I mean, you. If you're gonna like do it for the movement, you're probably got some safety net in case you're you know something bad happens. You know that's the advice I would give to, to people. Right. So it really needs to be personal. It has to. Yeah. It was always decisions. personal, but for a while it was like marketed as though you know <laughs> it's good for the movement. The more people know that you're gay, so coming out is good for you know. That's like it, a Harvey Milk kind of a speech. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, this it was so. It, it started with awareness, and uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, awareness and uh, appreciation and acceptance. You know, acceptance, appreciate. I haven't worked out. Maybe I should work out the chronology. <laughs> Which step comes first? But there definitely is this uh, this process, and people say that you know tolerance is. This one guy says tolerance is. Uh, is just gets you stuck. It's not enough to be tolerant. Like, I know, but it's a, it's part of you know, this process, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh man, there's like, yeah, I'm just. <laughs> no, that's I'm, that's all. That's all good. My head is crowd, crowding with uh, with you know things to trying to get through the doorway. Sure. No, that's fine. If, is is there any other thought you'd like to leave us with? Maybe let us know a little bit about the book that sounds like it's on its way or? oh I'm working on a book uh, uh, which is about my time in in a punk rock scene and in the uh, in the skinhead scene and, and I guess I'm just giving me ideas but uh, <laughs> I, it was going to end earlier but I got uh, a message from uh, the guy who wrote this stupendously uh, homophobic song <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, he, he was like you know he was grateful and he said congratulations and you know and so the problem we have is that when I what I was taught when I was a little kid is dogma, which is correct thinking. That's literally what it means. It means correct thinking, and uh, we are like saturated with that now. And pe- people just uh, cannot help but talk about politics and their particular like rules and things like that. So I think I don't, how are we going to get past talking about politics? You just talk. Oh, my marigolds are blooming beautifully right now, and. <laughs> hmm. Things like that, but people are like you know they uh, they have a certain you know certainty comes with dogma. You like you know exactly what the truth is, and we're not and people have been encouraged to be certain. You know, certainty feels good, but it's an illusion. Mm-hmm. So better to be open, better to be 
what, it's what better to it? it's better to know <laughs> than to not know, and uh, that's like one one big axiom. Uh, it's, but you know, the more the more you can like try to understand the other person, the more you can, you can probably get to find something that you can accept, something you can tolerate, something you know that you can that's lovable about them. Mm. Other than that, you know, extinction is, uh, you know, I'm cool with that. <laughs> I'm willing to accept it. I'm merging the George Carlin uh, stay. <laughs> That's, yeah, hey, you know what? We've got choices, right? <laughs> right. We could make them wisely or not. Right, exactly so. <laughs> Thanks so much, Pedro. This it's has been, been great. Great talking with you. Likewise. You got questions? We got answers. Today's question is from me. <laughs> That's cool. That's fair once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> and my question is, what is your wish for the next year? That is, it's in one way, it's like easy. It's like, you know, all the same oh, health and whatever. You know, I could say all the basic things. But I feel like, and this this is kind of depressing, but. I would like for this year to have all of us make it through the next year. Mm. I don't want to lose us. I don't want to lose any more friends because it's been not great <laughs> in that way this year. So that was the first thing I thought of. Oh, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's all be truly be well and, you have a whole healthy, happy 2022. How about you? I would like next year for the progressives or whoever to get a real handle on stopping the erosion of our democracy. And I, and I know that's a really big wish. Um, that is a really it, big wish. And we got to, and, and part of it, part of it is 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 holding the Congress critters accountable for their January sixth participation and getting rid of the ones who were helping them, because they're they participated in an insurrection against the government that they're supposed to be, you know, uh, running, <laughs> mm-hmm. and. I kind of I kind of don't want to see us fall into authoritarianism. I really really don't. I, I that's not going to be good for anybody. It's not no. going to be good for anyone at all. No, I know we've been reclassified as a backsliding democracy, so which has been apparent for a while, but it's weird to see. Yeah. Other people see that. So well, it's gotten it's like climate change. It's been happening for a really long time, but we're now at these critical points where it's obvious to everybody, you know, I mean, I have a lot of other wishes, but that's like the main one. I mean. Me too. <laughs> After the first one, it's like, there's a lot of stuff, but there's, that's, I think, I think we said the main, yeah, the main gist of it. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, the end of our season and then the end of the year. And for December, our two shows in December are going to be reposted interviews with 
Christiana Gaudette, which that tarot interview was great, and I want more people to be able to hear it. So I'm, I'm going to be reposting that. And then our final episode for, for 2021 is going to be a repost of my interview with 89, the brainchild, because I want to give him some more exposure. Yeah, we had a that. lot of good interviews this year too, and I'm yeah, we did. We're going to re revisit at least a couple of them. Yeah, and uh, that's great. So, and our our next our theme for next year or for next season um, is going to be freedom. And yes. I'm really looking forward to working on that season. Me too. So we're going to be. I'm going to. We're going to try to take a break, but we're also going to be working on the. <laughs> creating the new content for you That's guys. That's right. And so, there's, there's really never a break break, but. <laughs> <laughs> I was just imagining all the wonderful SEO I'm going to get to do on our break. So yeah, no, <laughs> we'll be busy. <laughs> we will be busy. And, and so if uh, you don't hear from us, you probably, you will hear from us on social media for sure. But uh, you know, happy new year, everyone. Yeah. Happy, happy new holiday. year. Um, so. I'm Robin Renee, and as I said, you, you know, you can find us at Leftscape everywhere, but um, you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan, or Instagram at Robin Renee Music, and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And on Discord, or if you travel in the subgenius circles, you know me and can find me as Andrew Genus. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z, and I'm Vox Woman with a V on Discord. Very nice. So please do send us your questions, and we might answer them on an upcoming show. And until next time, be well, stay safe, and keep, keep left. left. I like that one. We can keep that. <laughs> That's not bad, huh? No. <laughs> You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening. <laughs>